0: Hello and welcome everyone back to another episode of The Publisher Lab. I'm Tyler Bishop. Join alongside me as you've come to expect, Shelby Kang. Shelby, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Thanks. Busy week, but I don't know. It feels like longer than a week since we've done it.
0: I know. And there's a lot going on in the world of digital publishing right now. I think um, it's funny. I saw a comment from someone today in a online community that talks about uh, digital publishing. And they were talking about all the changes that relates to privacy and browsers and cookies and all that sort of thing. And they said, this is the time, if you're an innovator in the space, that you put on your thinking cap because these opportunities only come around once in a lifetime. And I thought that was interesting. And he said, the point is, these types of changes, the things that are happening right now, are going to determine the, I guess, the playing field that we live on in terms of digital for the next, you know, maybe decade. So it's very important to pay attention, to be involved in those processes if you can be.
1: Right, that's right. Um, I was looking at doing some research for different topics this week and one of them was about um, CCPA and how even though it's been a few weeks now, we really can't judge the impact quite yet. So even though things are changing quite a bit, it's still kind of difficult to navigate and figure out what's really meaningful and what's not.
0: I think people are just starting to understand the impacts of GDPR and that's something that's evolved since its launch and continues to evolve. So I don't know you know, how, how you really look at the ramifications of something like that in a static form because it is just kind of constantly evolving.
1: Right, well, that'll give us lots of things to talk about in future episodes. Um, but the first topic I wanted to get started with today is about Scroll. Um, so it's the new subscription service offering ad-free access to hundreds of websites. Um, So this topic I actually got off of your Twitter. (laughs) So if anyone follows Tyler on Twitter, then you may already um, know
0: uh, that I have a strong take on this particular subject.
1: Exactly. So instead of blocking ads, Scroll works with a group of publishers to take ads off their websites in exchange for a slice of the subscription fee. So there are, I think, about 300 websites in this group. Um, Some of them are The Atlantic, BuzzFeed News. Vox, Business Insider, USA Today, and others. So scroll works by placing a cookie in your browser and that lets the website know that um, it shouldn't let or it shouldn't serve ads to you. So it should work across all websites once you've logged in to scroll. Um, It works on both mobile and desktop but there are some extra steps needed within mobile apps like Facebook that have their own browser and then other browsers like Safari. So that requires an extra extension for it to fully work. So scroll costs about $5 per month and they keep about or they keep one fifty of the subscription fee and the remaining $3.50 um, gets divided to publishers based on how each user divides their time on each publication. So users will receive a monthly breakdown of where their money went, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, scroll CEO claims that Because ads aren't shown, websites should load faster and receive fewer ad trackers. Um, And there are some analytics tools that are still allowed um, and websites will be able to keep their affiliate links and they're able to paywall um, some of their articles. So custom native ads are also allowed in select situations but generally users will be looking at an ad-free site. So Apple has kind of taken the same approach with Apple News. that's mainly, what is it, magazine publishers for the most part. So you have a strong opinion on this. Do you mind sharing it with our listeners?
0: Sure. Um, and I guess my, my opinion sort of gets stronger. And I, I guess I I feel to a certain extent like um, if this is something that you that you hear the idea or um, even as a consumer it's really attractive to you, then I my goal is not to sway you. And if you're not sure... Um, I'm hoping that just you reading off all the caveats uh, is something that allows people to really see just the incremental value and subset of people that would find this interesting. Um, So I guess a big portion of this is that so many people browse on their mobile phones, including Safari, um, getting something to work like this in a Safari browser without basically logging in and and browsing through some kind of portal or iframe or something like that is going to be extremely difficult because um, Safari doesn't allow third-party extensions. So you know you're asking people to potentially give up their favorite mobile browser. Um, Apple phones in general are not the best at you know uh, providing open browser access. to a very closed ecosystem in general. But let's just throw all that out the window and pretend we're browsing in a good old desktop computer. If ads are being lazy loaded on a page those sites are not going to be any faster sub ads um, beyond that content recommendation is probably the native ads that are allowed which um, those still can be annoying to people in a lot of cases as well even if it's the same site um, and then uh, ultimately if you look at the amount of revenue that is going to be shared with publishers that are giving up these experiences and stuff like that to visitors uh, it's very small um, you can look at it in the way that Spotify works for music that's sort of the idea um, ask musical artists if they like uh, the revenue share or the value that music has taken given these types of models um, the value of music has gone down significantly uh, over the past few decades and it's not to say that the industry hasn't changed um, but the ad funded model of written content still does work, and um, the death of third-party cookies isn't going to change that. It's just going to simply change the mechanism by which targeting takes place. Open RTB and a lot of other things are going to provide a way so that it's not just any regular person that throws a cookie on a page or script or even publisher can track a user. It would make it to where it's a very private way for uh, advertisers to openly bid on known users without sharing that data across multiple streams. so there are ways of doing it that aren't you know going away or you know there's a lot of things that have been proposed but coming back to script uh, scroll scroll sorry uh, scroll uh, I think about it from a user standpoint given all those caveats do you want to pay your out-of pocket pocket money just so that you on a handful of sites might not see, as many ads or ads and let's just pretend all ads is that worth is that worth it to you do you think
1: for me personally probably not just because I'm already so accustomed to like seeing ads or interacting with them or
0: even if you could have an ad-free experience for free would you be willing to jump through a bunch of extra hoops whenever you see an article on a social media platform that you're interested in Would you copy the link and then take it into a custom browser or, you know, like, wouldn't you rather just continue your regular user behavior?
1: I mean, yeah, I don't even have any ad blockers, like, on my desktop to begin with, so, you know, downloading extensions and signing up for different things, not that appealing
0: for me, but... And I think a lot of, you know, the the audience that this is going after is the ad blocking audience that's is what is being sold right now is like don't have to see ads well ad blockers are free if I don't want to see ads I can just use an ad blocker and the stuff that ad blockers don't work on are exactly the same type of thing that scroll is it going to really work well on so you're asking people to change behavior and pay for something they don't need to pay for the contents already free ad blockers are already free what is it that you're providing other than basically like a Patreon that is gonna be unfairly distributed and also somebody else is gonna take a cut. I don't don't get it. Uh, Apple News is actually different than this because Apple News is all within one application. The Wall Street Journal is putting their content into Apple News. They're not asking me as a user to log in, change my behavior and then access the Wall Street Journal as I do today and also still not giving me full subscription in um, Apple News, I can pay a smaller amount and get full access to all the content in a singular app where it is very snappy and fast and an app-like experience with Apple News.
1: Does that include um, content that's hidden by a paywall, Apple News?
0: I, I believe it does. I think that, that was the selling point because it was, you know, whenever it was launched, they were saying to people like the Wall Street Journal, you're discounting your subscriptions for, you know, 30% of... You know what you charge regular users and now they can access all this other stuff like aren't you undercutting yourself and basically telling your users to go use apple news and you know i'm sure apple did some kind of great deal with them to start with but um we'll, we'll see how that that model plays out i don't know that it's been this huge explosion of people moving to apple news i i don't think that written content or news content or any kind of written content for that matter is ever going to be this mass adopted thing that people are willing to pay subscriptions for because we're used to seeing ads on content and it doesn't really disrupt us. Ads on video, like I will pay the extra $3.99 a month for the Hulu without ads because I have to physically wait like 30 seconds. That's kind of annoying, but when I have to watch six ads before my show starts or like in the middle of it, those six ads, like, I want to get up and do something else, but I'm trying to relax and want to watch something. Yeah. If, if somebody made you pause reading and stop reading and watch an ad until you could read the content, I think that would change things.
1: Definitely. Um, The next topic I wanted to cover today is um, an article from Digiday, and it's titled The Incredible Revival of Auto-Refreshing Ads. So in the past, media observers called the use of auto-refreshing ads as a bad practice, um, but this view is changing and auto-refreshing ads have been on the rise over the past few months. So, ads within these sites auto refresh based on triggers such as the amount of time elapsed, delivering more impressions, and thus boosting a publisher's revenue. So obviously this is not a new tactic, but it's one that's coming back um, as publishers are kind of looking for more ways to squeeze revenue out. Um, So similar to auto-playing video ads, ads that auto-refresh help boost the number of impressions, but an ad ops service interviewed for the article estimates a potential net revenue increase of 20 to 45 percent, depending on how long the average user spends on a publisher's site. Um, and also whether the header bidding and bid caching are concurrently deployed. So obviously this tactic doesn't come without risk. Um, Two of the worst offenders from a user experience perspective involve what's called a background refresh. So that's when an ad um, and the editorial content refresh every 30 seconds or so. Um, And the other one is a blind refresh where ads are refreshing without accounting for whether they're in view or not. So if an ad unit refreshes without a viewability check, then a publisher's viewability score can easily drop, and so it's kind of slippery slope there. Um, so I've actually noticed just in like my internet like usage that I've been noticing ad refresh yeah. pretty often on a lot of different websites. So what's your thought on this? Do you think it's going to become adopted completely by all publishers?
0: Um, I mean, it's it's a kind of a it's a ad ops technique and. Um... It comes back to a lot of things as it relates to um, uh, AdOps which is a subject I'm I'm fairly well-versed on but not intentionally in a lot of respects but the thing is, is it always comes down to the right tool for the right job. So there's an application for AdRefresh but just like anything you can do as much harm as you can good um, if it's used improperly. So you mentioned the thing about viewability. Viewability is one thing Um, advertisers with direct deals often have like certain parameters around that But let's pretend you don't even have that advertisers will adjust bids over time um, Both programmatically through automated platforms and then also uh, You know I blacklist sites all the time where I see you know like single-digit viewability You'll start to look at things over time where it's like I'm getting a hundred thousand impressions on what site like You'll notice I've got CNN.com as an advertiser you know, getting 100,000 impressions in a week and then I have some other website that I've never heard of before and then you go to it and you notice all the ads are refreshing so you just say, well, my viewability is not good, I've never got any clicks from here, I've never had any uh, campaign goals completed. Um, I'm just going to blacklist this site and so next thing you know you've reduced the competition on your site, Um, people are bidding less and that's not something you see initially so you might think to yourself, hey, this is great And after a month you're pretty excited about the revenue and then three months you're really wondering why your revenue in the tank and then six months from then um, it'll feel like nothing you do is fixing that because to rehab from you know the um, I guess the erosion of your ad inventory value is is it's hard and it's because you typically don't notice it happening as it's occurring.
1: Right, definitely. Just from a user standpoint, every time or when I do see ads refresh, I think to myself, there's no way I even saw all those ads that were viewable to me and they're already refreshing.
0: I I think one of the things we can say about the future of um, advertising digitally is one of the reasons why the death of the third party cookie is actually probably good, if we can get things right, is that the ad refreshing thing that doesn't really offer the value that it should to an advertiser. And the reason a publisher is doing it is because they don't think that their content is getting a fair value and this is how they're trying to extract more for it. Now, in a perfect exchange, that value should be fair on both sides. So an advertiser should be able to pay a fair price and a publisher should also, without gouging or being greedy, be able to feel like they're able to fund their content in a proper way. And, um, you know, ad refreshing is a hack for that because, you know, somebody, You know, you think about having a magazine article where, and I know this is going back to a model that's dead um, or changing. Sorry, everybody that's in print. But, like, it'd be, like, two different advertisers paying you for the exact same advertising on the exact page 63 full-page ad. You sell it to both Reebok and Adidas. You're double-dipping.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, So I guess we'll see kind of towards the end of the year whether this is still trending among publishers. Um, The next topic I have is uh, a Google-related one. So it's a new tool um, in Google Search Console. So they've launched a new removes tool within Google. So it lets you do three things. So the first one is it lets you hide or temporarily hide URLs from showing in Google Search. Uh, The second one is it shows you which content is not in Google because it's considered outdated content. So this section provides information on removal requests that are made through the Public Removal Outdated Content Tool. Um, So you can see a history of all the requests or updates to remove outdated content within the past six months here. Um, And the last one is um, it shows you which of your URLs were filtered by Google's Search Adult Filter. Um, so you can access these tools within Google Search Console under the Index menu, or you can go to search.google.com slash Google dash console slash removals. You got that, everyone? <laughs> I got that. Okay. Um, so that was just kind of an update I wanted to share, just one of those things that might be helpful
0: for people. Yeah, it's a cool tool. I, I took a look at it today. Um, I'm skeptical of how the Remove from Google Search Index stuff will work. They've never been great at that um, obeying... Uh, Requests along those lines, but we'll see. Um, The other two tools, um, you know, my guess is people will be surprised at some of the things that go in there. My guess is there'll be a lot of bugs. Google will do things wrong there, but ultimately, you'd rather know when affected by something than not. And so, I'm, uh, I'm a fan of anything where Google is willing to share with you information about the way that they're indexing or viewing your site. Right.
1: And the last topic I have on deck is actually one um, from us. So it's the top digital content trends in 2020. So this is a survey that we conducted of over 200 digital publishers about different trends and challenges that they're facing this year. Um, So when asked what the highest digital content priority will be in 2020, The majority respondents said seo and diversifying revenue streams so not too surprising Um, according to the survey the biggest challenge for publishers this year will be growing site traffic and revenue Um, and then that being said nearly 72 percent of respondents said that the most successful tactic for website growth in 2019 was just writing content Um, and nearly half said that they want to produce more long-form content moving into 2020. So, were there any surprises, or did you see anything that specifically, sh- like, striked you from the data that we collected from the survey?
0: Um, I, I wouldn't say I was surprised by anything. Um, traffic and revenue, not a surprise. Uh, growing quality traffic is always... I, I don't think that there's a there's many good publishers that are like, you know what, if there's one thing we're not worried about, it's growing traffic in our audience. I think it's always something people have a concern about. And then that's always linked to obviously revenue. Um, and I think uh, the publishing business, like any business, where it's like even if you grew 100% last year, this year the goal is like to grow 105% more. You know, I, I, there's, there's kind of like an insatiable want for more when it relates to business. So those two things make tons of sense. Um, I think one of the things that um, it's not a surprise, but it's something that I'll caution because I do think it's a line of thinking that. That deserves a reflection and that is um, one is the focus on long-form content is something that stuck out as everyone said that you know they the most successful strategy they had has been creating new content and this year they want to focus on long-form content Um, that is not necessarily the the way that the internet has started to move Um, number two on that list was video and I think that a lot of publishers really struggle with how they're going to create video or monetize that video. And I do think that there are uh, real challenges there. If you're a smaller independent publisher, especially, you know, how do you create good video quality uh, content? And I think um, a lot of that comes from perceiving video content is this very highly produced, perfect type of, you know, content. But I think if you look at YouTube in general, your videos out there that are captured on cell phones that are fuzzy, that are you know, entertaining to people and things like that. So I think if you good content can stand out regardless of the production quality sometimes, so you have to separate that. Um, but then in general as it relates to long form, long form is great on uh, a lot of cases, but I do think um, whether you like it or not, Google is starting to reward the idea of giving people answers. And sometimes giving people answers means finding a way to present as dense of information as possible in the shortest way if possible and that lends itself both to video and then very visual style of content. So I would I'd just reframe that to people that are thinking about long form content this year and say, how are you making your content more visual? Um, how are you packing in the information that people are looking for into the most succinct ways as possible? Um, and those are the things that also are becoming rich snippets, which is a damned if you do, damned if you don't uh, proposition a lot of times, and I get that, but just some things to think about.
1: Yeah, I 100% um, agree with you, especially with trying to figure out how to make your content as easily consumable as possible. Um, That's actually all the topics I have for this week. Um, Is there anything going on on your end?
0: So uh, as it relates to making content easily consumable, you now have this podcast both uh, delivered into your iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and now you also have our YouTube channel where you can access it. We have uh, publisherlab.com where you can submit questions and information, access the podcast, uh, videos, um, subscribe to our newsletter, um, the Five Bullet Friday that you hear often referenced on the show. And then coming up in early April, I don't know if we want to present a date yet, we will be back in New York with uh, at Google for another Pubtelligence event. Um, seating will be very limited and we will run out of seats very quickly like we normally do. But I wanted to give you the opportunity, uh, Shelby, to, to share that date if you were ready to share it. And if not, we can just say early April and keep your eyes peeled.
1: Um, I, I think we're ready to share it. Um, so we have a date Friday, um, April 3rd. Um, so Pubtelligence has always been a great opportunity to meet listeners and kind of hear your feedback. So um, if you're in the New York area or you can reach the New York area in April, we would love to have you there. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention is that if you wanted to look at all the survey data from our top digital content trends, um, you can go to ezoic.com slash blog and you can see different graphs and um, all the responses that we collected.
0: Yeah. And I, I was, it's very interesting data to look through. And I think that, um, if you haven't had a chance to look at it, definitely take a look at, well, we want to thank you for joining us on another episode of the Publisher Lab.